This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. We want to hear from you. Please take our 10-minute survey and tell us what you think about our 48 Hours podcast. Visit cbsnews.com slash podcast dash survey. No spaces and all lowercase to take the survey. Again, that's cbsnews.com slash podcast dash survey. We appreciate your feedback and love your support. General, you may proceed with your opening remarks. Thank you, Your Honor. I don't know that I can tell you why she did it. I don't know. But I'm not required to prove why she did it, just that she did. I say it's a very old, simple farm, uh, however, very effective. But this is a tough case. This is a purely circumstantial case, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and this is part three of Married to Death. One of the strangest cases I've ever covered with a truly unexpected and shocking ending. And now let's return to the Knox County, Tennessee courtroom where the trial of Raynella Leith, the murder of her second husband, David, is underway. It's May, 2017. Is now open for Senate to adjournment. Senior Judge Paul Summers presiding. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. That's Senior Judge Paul Summers. He's handling the third murder trial of Raynella Leith. Third trial for Raynella Leith, and you have to pick a jury. How worried are you? When I spoke with Raynella's defense attorneys, Josh Hedrick and Rebecca Legrand, they were worried. They wouldn't be able to find enough people who hadn't already heard about Raynella. I was I was very concerned. Rebecca was more concerned. I was I was very concerned. There is no way to put out of your mind what you've read when you've read ten years of this coverage of calling Raynella a black widow. You can't put that out of your mind. And that was everywhere. So yeah, I was very worried that 
we were going to be starting from so far back, from so far from the presumption of innocence that you should have, that it was going to be this uh, an incredibly uphill battle. They tried to have the case moved out of Knoxville, and they asked for a change of venue. But Judge Summers was having none of it. And this was a major issue going into this trial. Here's my producer, Josh Gaynor. Could they find a group of men and women to put on this jury who had never heard about a woman who's been on front pages of newspapers for decades? And they tried to have it moved. But what what was interesting to me is, yes, when we first started on this trial, we thought it's going to be very hard to find jurors who hadn't heard about Raynella Leith over the last 14 years. As it turns out, Knoxville is that college town and it's a town where people move in and move out. And it turns out that they had no trouble finding jurors who had never heard of Raynella Leith. So instead of waiting for days to try to choose jurors and putting off the trial, day and a half. And we were off and running in this trial. I'd like to recognize that all 16 jurors are present and accounted for. 16 jurors are chosen and will sit for the entire trial, but only 12 of them will actually decide Raynella Lee's fate. Four will be alternates, but they're not notified until right before deliberation. There are 12 men, four women, all white, except for one Hispanic man. At this point, I always wonder, what's the defense thinking? Are they concerned that women will be harsher judges? Is that why there are more men? The 16 are a variety of ages, and they all come from different backgrounds. There's a coffee roaster with a family history of dementia, a Walmart pharmacist, a farmer, and a grocery store worker. As jurors, you are the ones that will decide the case. This is a complicated case, and it's time to get into the nitty-gritty of what both sides think happened to David Lee. The trial begins with the state's case. General, you may proceed with your opening remarks. Thank you, Your Honor. That's Stephen Crump. Sometimes you'll hear the judge call him General. He's not in the military, but in Tennessee, the DA is called a district attorney general. Here's Josh again. He's an elected official and somewhat newly uh, to his position. He didn't have to take this case on himself. He could have uh, allowed one of his deputies to do it. So he took it on himself, which is, it was an interesting point coming in, is he put himself out there a, a little bit as well, but clearly thought strongly that he had a, had a good case. If you remember, Raynella's first husband, Ed Dossett, was also a DA in Knox County, and he's still well-known around the courthouses here. So the current DA removed herself from the case Stephen Crump, on the other hand, he's from a different county. He's entirely fresh and new to this case. This is a tough case. This is a purely circumstantial case, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. And you don't have, like, an eyewitness? No. You don't have any kind of direct evidence that says, Raynella Leith killed David Leith. That's right. Crump told me what he thinks happened with Raynella and David in that bedroom the morning of March 13th. 
2003. I think she walked up to the side of the bed, intended to make it a one-shot. It was going to be a suicide. It was going to look like a suicide. And she missed. And then it changed the dynamic of everything that came after that. Uh, she ended his life with that second shot, and then in an attempt to cover up and, and make the scene out to be what it needed to look like, she fired that third shot to get gunshot residue on him. That's what I think. Crump says the way David Leith was found just didn't add up for investigators. He was tucked in. There was a pillow between his legs. He was naked. You heard David Lee about David Lee. He was a proud man. He liked to look good. He liked to, he liked to show himself. You really think that's the way that he would want to leave? Naked with a pillow between his legs? Josh says that nearly everyone we spoke with mentioned David Lee's near obsession with his physical appearance and the way he's seen in town. This is uh, outside Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, by all accounts, he was a very macho, masculine type of guy in, in somewhat of a macho, masculine sort of environment. He was very into cars. He worked with his hands on the farm. He went to tanning salons. He got plastic surgery for his face. His pants were always perfectly tailored. Everybody says everything on him was perfectly manicured at all times. And he was so self-conscious of, about the way that he looked. The way that Cindy says is that he always wore his sunglasses, even during pictures. As we've discussed in a previous episode, the prosecution doesn't have to give the jury a motive for murder. But Crump knows that the jurors will be thinking about it. We've talked about the angles, and we come down to why. I told you that I don't know that I can tell you why she did it. I don't know. But I'm not required to prove why she did it, just that she did Despite not having a motive, it was still plain to Josh and me that the prosecution was presenting a certain narrative about Raynella. What the prosecution wants the jury to believe is that not only did Raynella kill her husband, David Leith, but it had been an in-process planned going on for weeks, months. A real cold-blooded calculating killer. Someone who is able to execute her husband in bed, go to see her mother-in-law at the hospital, talk to her stepdaughter, go see her daughter at school, and have all of those people, except for Cindy, of course, say there was nothing out of the ordinary. This episode is brought to you in part by June's Journey. Picture it, the glamour of the roaring 20s, Wrapped in a mystery that only you can solve. Dive into June Parker's captivating quest to uncover scandalous family secrets. With your keen eye for detail, find hidden clues and solve mind-boggling puzzles. It's all about observation, intrigue, and drama. But beware, each clue leads deeper into a thrilling storyline filled with danger and romance. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Your adventure awaits. Most trials are whodunits, who committed the murder. But in this case, Crump has yet to even establish that David Leith was murdered, let alone that Raynella Leith was the one who killed him. To prove his case, Crump is relying on two key pieces of evidence. One is the gun, the other 
is the blood spatter found on the headboard of David's bed. Those three shots were fired at remarkably different angles. If you remember, there were three shots fired. Here's Steve Crump during opening statements. One striking the headboard, going into the wall, and exploding chips of wood into the back of the hair of David Lee's head. You'll hear another bullet entered his forehead. You'll hear a third bullet entered the bed at the angle you see there, downward and was recovered from the floor. Crump believes those bullets tell the story. We'll explain how in a second, but let's start with the gun itself. They found a handgun, 38 caliber, Colt Police Special Positive the name of the weapon. That positive is a six-shot revolver. And it's important, and you will see why we get to the conclusion of my opening, it's important that this was a revolver. And you will hear that after the brain stem was severed, he was no longer capable of moving, firing that gun, a third round was fired. And we know that because you will hear that the third round was the one that was different. Crump says David Leith was incapacitated and couldn't have fired the gun a third time. He relies on expert witnesses like Don Carmen. Call your next witness. Your Honor, the state calls Don Carmen. Carmen is a firearms expert, and he's a former agent with the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. He led the team that analyzed the gun back in 2003. For 30 years, I was a forensic scientist with the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. Carmen took the revolver down in front of the jury box to show jurors how it works. I say it's a very old, simple firearm, uh, however, very effective. It's a revolver with a cylinder that holds the bullets in individual chambers, in this case, six. Think of those guns in the old Western movies where you can spin that round section that holds the bullets and then click it back into place. That's the cylinder. A few things happen when this particular gun is fired. First, each bullet casing stays in the cylinder in the exact same spot it started. Second, when the trigger is pulled, a small circular indentation called a hammer strike is left on the empty casing. It looks like a small dimple, like if you were to poke the tip of a pencil into a piece of clay. And third, every time the gun fires, that cylinder rotates. Now, if you notice, the cylinder turns. This particular cylinder moves clockwise to line up the next bullet. In this case, we know three shots were fired. Investigators say they can tell which was fired first, and they say they took a photo of that open cylinder as they found it. Uh, The first cartridge uh, fired would be this one. So that you can see it in your mind, think of the gun cylinder like a clock. The first spent cartridge is at 4 o'clock. The second would be this one. The second spent cartridge is at two o'clock. And the third would be this one. And the third is straight up at noon. 
or 12 o'clock. Investigators say they got lucky because the gun was loaded with two different kinds of ammunition, same caliber, different brands and colors, two silver Remington bullets, one gold Winchester. The first two fired cartridges at 4 and 2 o'clock are silver. Their fragments were found in the headboard and in David's head. And the last fired round at 12 o'clock in the cylinder was the lone gold Winchester shot through the mattress. The prosecution says that that proves the last bullet was fired after David was already shot in the head. This is a crucial piece of evidence for the state. In court, Stephen Crump asked the medical examiner, Dr. Jarinka Malusinek, to explain why it matters. When David Lee's brainstem was transected, what happened to his body? When you hear stories about somebody falling like a board, somebody just basically becomes flaccid and totally paralyzed, that's what happens. Was David Lee in any way capable of any sort of voluntary movement after that bullet transected his brain? None whatsoever. In other words, the state says David Leith could not have physically fired that final shot. There just simply is no other explanation. A suicide simply does not explain all of that. The only conceivable answer in our mind was that it was a homicide. And then there's the blood spatter. That's the trail of blood that Stephen Crump considers to be his most compelling evidence. But where all this falls apart for anything except homicide is where the blood spatter is found. When David Leith was shot in the head, blood from that injury landed on the headboard and the wall behind it. Forensic experts used those stains to estimate that David's head was approximately a foot above the mattress when he was shot. A foot above. The only way that all of this works together is that if Raynella Leith is standing at the side of the bed and she misses with that first shot. And we know that the first shot was the one that went into the headboard because David Lee's hair was found in the divot that was created by the bullet going into the headboard. We know that his head was below that because there was uh, wood particles in his hair. And so the first shot happens the only thing that could have happened is that he raises up, his hair goes through there and is trapped against the headboard, and so it stays on the headboard. The second shot occurs, and he falls straight back down to where he was found. In other words, Crump believes that David's killer shot the headboard, jolting David awake, then shot again and hit David in the head, causing him to fall back down. Isn't it possible that David was trying to shoot himself, missed, and then just tried again? I mean... No, it's not. Um, The blood spatter that was uh, on the headboard and on the wall behind the headboard, um, 
does not provide a basis for that to happen that is in line with the laws of physics. But is physics enough to convince jurors that a murder occurred? Because the defense insists that that very same evidence points to David Lee as the shooter. That each and every one of these shots, each and every one of these trajectories could have been accomplished by David Leith himself. Both sides have their own experts to back up their cases. There's a difference between innocent and not guilty. I have no idea if she's innocent. I truly believe she's not guilty. If we interpret not guilty as being no proof was offered that Raynella Leith shot and murdered her husband. So I have no idea as a human being whether she's innocent or not. As a forensic pathologist, at least on the evidence that I've been privy to, there's no way on earth I think she's guilty. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and that's part three of Married to Death. This podcast series, Married to Death, is developed by 48 Hours in partnership with CBS News Radio. Judy Tigart is executive producer. Nancy Kramer is our executive story editor. Mike Vallee and Alan Pang are the series producer editors. This episode was produced by Josh Gaynor, Lisa Freed, and Luis Geraldo, and edited by Mike McHugh, Dwayne Tullison, Jamie Benson, and Megan Marcus. Thanks to composer Richard Fioca for his original scores. Gabriella Demergian and Morgan Canty are our associate producers. Kayla Cadell is our production associate. Thank you to Craig Swagler, the vice president and general manager of CBS News Radio. And finally, a shout out to all of you, our fans. We owe it to all of you, the millions of fans of 48 Hours in the U.S. and around the world. Don't forget to join me online. I am at EF Moriarty on Twitter, and we are at 48 Hours on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. See you soon. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's the case, then I've got some good news. We just launched a brand new Strange, Dark, and Mysterious podcast called Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries. And as the name suggests, it's a show about medical mysteries, a genre that many fans have been asking us to dive into for years, and we finally decided to take the plunge, and the show is awesome. In this free weekly show, we explore bizarre, unheard-of diseases, strange medical mishaps, unexplainable deaths, and everything in between. Each story is totally true and totally terrifying. Go follow Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a Prime member, you can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.